When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all. Uh, Ian Smith coming to you out of the studio here in Auckland uh, the morning after the night that was at Eden Park. And uh, the White Ferns, of course, uh, missing out there. And there's a lot of emotion around the ground, I can tell you, uh, and in the commentary box as well. So we'll talk about that uh, throughout the morning. We've got uh, Craig coming. Uh, He'll have some thoughts on how that uh, White Ferns squad has gone. Um, but he, we principally want to get him on because uh, the Dilmar flashbacks are continuing out throughout this month. Uh, and that's uh, New Zealand against Sri Lanka. And uh, Craig Cumming was uh, heavily involved in a couple of tours when uh, Sri Lanka came here. And uh, uh, he faced some interesting bowlers, the likes of uh, Malinga, of course, uh, Murali Duran. So we'll, we'll talk to, uh, to Sid Cumming about that. Uh, Katrina Keenan, uh, former White Fern herself and also former White Fern coach. Uh, what happened? What happened in this campaign? Uh, Katrina Keenan to get to, to the bottom of that. Just after 10 o'clock, we'll talk to the Carmo kid, Ian Jones, of course, uh, former Waikato chief himself, very proud chief. Uh, all black, no, uh, no qualms about that at all either. But um, what are you, what's he doing with his life as well, Carmo, these days? It, it, it seems you, if you point to an island and say swim round it, Carmo will go and do it. It's crazy. Uh, so we'll talk to him a, a little bit about uh, what's happened over the weekend in Super Rugby. The panel this morning, Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. Number of topics, of course. Uh, we'll talk about uh, UFC as well. Uh, Super Rugby or picky. Uh, how did that go down? Uh, Warriors letting another one get out of the bag. Very, very frustrating there. So uh, that's what we're looking forward to throughout the morning. Uh, and at uh, about 11.30 this morning, I understand uh, there's been uh, some pretty bad smithy, stump smithy going on. So a lot of people have uh, built up the pot to around 150 bucks, which is great. 150 bucks. Let's get it started. Dilmar Flashbacks. Celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Good stroke, a mighty uh, cut through a line delivery. So coming is uh, really making them pay. That's a loose delivery and a good stroke. He stepped into that, didn't he? He stepped and said, I'll have it. Yeah, well done, Craig Cumming. Oh, that's gone over the top for six. That's a magnificent pull shot. 50 partnership for New Zealand and Craig Cumming forget about the no ball call forget about anything there just admire the end result 
Ah, that's going back a wee bit, and we certainly are with Dilmar as well. We're celebrating 30 years of uh, tea in New Zealand with Dilmar. Uh, we also have a, a rich cricketing history, of course, with Sri Lanka, but not all that history has been pleasant. The Boxing Day tsunami in 2004 shook the world and saw the Sri Lankans abandon their tour here to return home. Cricketing community did uh, what it does best and banded together back then in support with fundraising efforts to help those affected. The Sri Lankans did come back in 2005 and have toured on our shores many times since. So for our latest Dilmar flashback, we're joined by the subject of all that commentary, uh, my good mate Craig Cumming. Craig, uh, good morning to you. Morning, I, I didn't know that was me. I actually thought clearly that would be someone else because this boundary's been hit and... <laughs> Martin Crowe is talking very positively about some months batting, and I thought, well, who the hell are they talking about? So, nearly fell off my chair, Smitty, but I can actually tell you, it's going to line up nicely. I've got a nice cup of um, Dilma English breakfast here right beside me right now. So how's that going? That's very good, Craig. Very, very good indeed, and, and extremely timely of you to mention that, just by the by. Um, you know, we, we squeezed all the highlights of that innings into about 30 seconds, so it's cool. <laughs> 43, yeah, actually. Like... 43 in both innings, so you got a pair. Yeah, I did actually. I mean, I played I played Sri Lanka when they my my second series. I played Australia. Um, I didn't play in that one when they were over here for the tsunami. Um, but then my first, well, my second series was they were over here. I think oh five, oh six, and um, I remember a couple of things. One, Atu Patu got a hundred in Napier, and that was when Malinga came over Smithy. So mm. we had to deal with Malinga for the first time in that low arm action. And we tried to get Daryl here to take his tie off because the ball was coming from the chest, and the, and the umpires used to wear black ties. Mm. And he wouldn't do it. Um, he said no. And um, so then we tried to ask if he put a jacket over his pants and that because it was really low and he, he wouldn't do it. So he showed he was a good guy. Um, <laughs> and um, we thought maybe he was Sri Lanka and, and Murali wasn't there that tour. So, so maybe he felt a bit more confident. And then the second tour after that, they came over. That's when I think I got the 43s. Is, um, that was that test where Sangakkara got 100. Um, batting, but he batted with Murali. I remember when Brendan mm. ran out Murali um, just when Sankara brought up his 100. And when I say Brendan, we ran him out because I don't want to throw him out on the zone and co- caused a huge amount of controversy about, you know, because Murali touched and then ran down to celebrate, but the ball was getting thrown in from fine league. It hadn't even arrived in. And I just remember walking out the bat and I got absolutely roasted by every Sri Lankan because of that, what happened. And even like... Mahala J. Wardener had those angry eyes and he let rip at me for about sort of half an hour. But there are some big memories I have. Sangakara got one of the best hundreds I've ever seen, Smithy, in that test match. Well, I can remember being a commentator and uh, I, I ripped into to Baz for that, I've got to say. I mean, to be honest, Murali, I mean, there was only a ball away from getting him out anyway. And it, I mean, it was just, yeah. it was, uh, I just didn't like it. But ha- hey, that's just by the by. So um, hey, tell us a wee bit about uh, how do you prepare for a guy like Malinga? Because I, I kind of thought if Malinga had affronted up to a New Zealand bowling academy, they'd have said, you can't bowl like that, son. They can't play cricket like that. So go away and either get your arms straightened up to the right level or try some other sport. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, he grew up, they found him playing um, t- cricket on the on the beach with a tennis ball. So, you know, the the action was made to try and skim the ball along the sand because if you bowled too upright, it would get stuck in the sand. And that makes sense. But it was it was really tough because I didn't know what to expect. It was this guy running in and all of a sudden his arm was coming from, you know, as I said, in front of the umpire's chest and on a different angle, different trajectory. And 
Of course, um, I was probably lucky I got to face him with the new ball, but as soon as he got that old ball, Smithy, mm. uh, the reverse swing that he got, um, I do remember he got me out of LBW. It was a stink of a decision. I, I wish DRS was around, actually, um, in the in the first test in Napier. But, um, yeah, it was really different because you couldn't work out where, where the release point was. I mean, how do you train it, Smithy? We had no one who could no. really train as it. As it turned out, you end up getting guys coming and throwing, you know, like you're skipping stones. That was really the action that he bowled with when we used to go to the lake, you know, and skim stones across the lake. And yeah, it took a bit to get used to. And also, I faced him at the base, and he was bowling 156 k's. Uh, he bowled one spell, so he was quick and unorthodox. So um, you're right, though. It's something that we probably would never produce uh, in the past in New Zealand because he didn't tick that tick that manual book, you know, when yeah. it would come to the way we should bowl. And the the other guy, of course, is that ended up being the greatest wicket-taker of all time, Matai Murlitharan, Murli Duran, how many uh, ways you can pronounce it, but Murli anyway to his mates. And uh, I, don't think I don't think that number of wickets will ever be overtaken. Uh, but what about him? What about his variations? Because that was probably the beginning of deception from off-spinners of a high order. Yeah, it's a, I had no idea which way it was turning. I can tell you that now, but he had absolutely no. His action, I looked at a lot of footage to try and work out any cues to see which way uh, the ball was turning and had absolute no idea. So basically, I came up with a plan that he was bowling off spin and I'd play him like an off spinner. If it turned the other way, I'd miss it. And I remember, though, I was batting and they had um, Jay Warden was um, his first slip, but they also had Jay Warden and the keeper was playing that day. He was their keeper, not Sankakara. And one time I played a ball and he said, mate, do you know what, well, you know, sort of said to me, do you know which way it's going? And I looked at him and I said, mate, I've got no idea. And they just started laughing. You know, here we are playing t- test cricket. But you just had to come up with a plan. And, and the good thing was Flem, Flem got his 270-odd over and piece out of Aramutu over in Sri Lanka. And he said the same. He didn't know which way it was going. But he just came up with a plan and stuck to that plan. And lucky for not, enough for me, I think, um, you really dropped a couple of short ones in early in the spell and I was able to hit them away and get a few runs away that were enough for us but yeah absolutely just a really strange thing Smithy mm. facing a bowler that you had no idea which way it was going he had his big eyes Murley he was a lovely lovely man uh, but still when he got that ball in his hand chuck in though and, and the one that actually you had you had Malinga you had Murley but Smithy the guy that I found the toughest to face was Chaminda Vass I mean a guy that ran in a bowl beautiful left arm in swing uh, not quick but then he could also bowl the ball that went across you. He had the cutter that went across you. So he would set you up whichever way. And gee, was he, to me, he was actually the hardest of the three to face with my technique at that stage. Mm. So, that, you know, you can see why, you know, they were a very good side through that period because they had some world-class players. Well, they certainly did. And it's great that uh, we can talk to you because you actually played against them. Uh, I was able to commentate on them and uh, around the world, actually. So it was quite, uh, mm. it was quite interesting to, to follow their progress. And, uh, of course, they become world uh, one-day champions at one point there, I think, in the, the late 90s. Uh, they won the World Cup. And that was pretty new in their cricketing history as well. So, they, I mean, when they developed, they developed very quickly. And they had unique players. As you say, Sangakara was one of their. Jay Awardner, out of into the silverback in my day. Uh, Juna Ranatonga. Uh, the skipper. That, that, I mean, yeah. they just had uh, some quality players. So it's great to reflect on uh, Sri Lankan cricket and uh, speak to someone that played against them right in the middle. Uh, well, let's uh, let's uh, turn our attention to what's happening at the moment um, around the country. First of all, uh, the Women's World Cup. Uh, Sid, I don't think, and all the times I've been to World Cups, and I'm talking rugby and cricket here, I've seen a more complete squad 
than the Australian women's cricket squad. I, I just do not see a weakness there, and they've got every base covered about three times. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they're good. And, and we know they're good. I mean, what have they won, Smithy? You know, these 33 of their last yeah. 34 or something like that. Yeah, that, that's... For a start, you've got to have internal drive. You've got to have, you know, you've got to have passion. You've got to have want. Um, you've got to have commitment um, to be able to do that because you can get very... Lackadaisical, well, I, cool, I suppose, as a word, but they, you're right. I mean, you know, you just got to look at their bowling attacks. That they've got options, and all of a sudden, you know, the other day they throw the ball to Ash Gardner, and she's bowling early with offspin. Uh, their batters, they just know how to play. Smithy, they're, they're proactive. I like that. I use that word. It's a little bit like the harder, the harder they, well, the more they need to step up. And I think you and I spoke about this in the T20 World Cup. The last team we wanted to play in the finals was Australia because the closer they get to the finals, Smithy, they just believe they. They, they think they've got a God-given right to be in every final. And, and that's their attitude. You know, We believe we should be there. And if we're not there, well, there's something wrong because clearly we haven't done anything wrong. They just get better and better. The more competitions go on, the tougher the competition. And this Australian women's cricket side have done that, Smithy, for the last, you know, God, how many years. Um, and they've got players. They don't fear failure, Smithy. They don't fear the competition. They don't fear big, big moments. They just... They roll their sleeves up and go, we deserve to be here and we belong here and we're going to knock you out. And, and that's exactly what they do. But they do it with high skill. They do it with a great attitude. And they do it with, um, you know, really good hard work and confidence. They, they, are a ple- they, they really are a pleasure to watch. They are. Uh, their skill set is amazing. Their top order players yep. you know, take it to a different level of women's cricket, I've got to say. Um, I, I, the only team that would beat them would be Team COVID for me. If they all came down with COVID uh, <laughs> and couldn't play for a couple of weeks. Uh, no, honestly, they're that dominant. I, I, just, I just can't see them getting beaten in this competition. So, uh, But we can't, uh, we can't ignore the fact that it's been majorly disappointing for us. Uh, I, I'm led to believe that it's raining in Hamilton. It's m- absolutely hosing down here in Auckland, so Hamilton just down the road. So it looks like the West Indies, uh, at the very least, will pick up a point today, so that'll take them to seven. Uh, that puts them pretty much out of reach for us. We can't touch them. So uh, mathematically, it, it just gets harder and harder for us to even possibly think about squeaking in. Uh, OK, we look at our campaign. We, we, uh, we missed out in three close games, um, two of which we, we perhaps should have won. Yesterday, England gave us the opportunity to get back into the game and we couldn't quite finish the deal there. So is it as simple as that? Is it simple to, to say we were unlucky throughout this tournament? I don't think so. Uh, no, not unlucky. Um, you can't be unlucky when you lose four games. Um, and, um, you know, they... They against the West Indies. They they should have that that's the game to me that was going to bite them in the backside because mm. they should have won that. Um, they're in a position to win that, and that game you should win when you need six off the last over. Um, you should win that nine times out of ten, or maybe ninety nine times out of a hundred, um, without a doubt. Um, and they should have won that, and that would have changed the momentum, would have changed the whole setup. Um, you look at the two points or the four point swing that you're just talking about now with the West Indies. Um, you know, against South Africa, no. I mean, you turn out, and you, if you score, if you bat properly in the last 10 overs, you're not in that position. So you can't say that's unlucky um, at all. You've got to say, um, you're unlucky is when you go out and the rain comes in and Duckworth Lewis maybe has a play and you all of a sudden you've got to lose runs and get mm. runs. They, they, the fact of the matter is, I just think at the moment, Smithy, they, they haven't quite nailed together their game. They, they, they've sort of been four-fifths in one innings and three-fifths in the second innings. And 
Um, you can't do that. The, the quality, and, and I think that's one thing that I've been blown away, the quality of the teams around us is certainly higher mm. than I thought it was going to be. The quality of cricket amongst you know, South Africa, Pakistan, even Bangladesh is really, really good. And um, at the moment, um, it's not that we haven't gone backwards. I just don't think we've quite gone forward uh, as much as other teams. And we're not quite as good as some of the other teams. But, you know, we've got to look at it. And you look at that list of the, the seven or eight teams that are here. We aren't in the top four, unfortunately, at the moment. We're not good enough to be in the top four. And I think we've just got to accept that, Smitty. And then we've got to find a way in the future to go, right, how do we, how do we get there? But at the moment, I don't think we're quite good enough with bat, ball and in the field to say that we you know, deserve to be in there at the moment. Yeah, I think we're three or four levels below Australia. They, they beat us 10 out of 10. I think it's as simple as that, which is quite galling. Um, so the other thing yeah. that, you know, that one of the Cardinals sins, and I don't, I, I don't think it's changed, is when you play 50 over cricket, you bat your 50 overs. Now, here's a stat. Uh, which I discovered yesterday and I read out uh, on the television. Since 2017, we have failed to bat our 50 overs 23 times. 23 times. That's the most of any team in the world. 23 times we can't get to 50 overs. Australia, Sid, one. Once. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, that's a hit. I, I thought it was just that now, I might have said four or five, maybe six. But yeah, that's huge. And I mean, it's very hard to work out where you not lay the blame, but I mean, you need someone in your top order going through and getting a big score. I don't believe in, I don't actually believe that you need, you know, someone always in, in the last 10. You've, it's the money ball theory, Smitty, but you've still got to make sure you get 300 balls. You want to make sure you use those 300 balls. Um, and um, yeah, clearly, when you look at that stat, wow, uh, that's huge because the amount of unscored runs. The other thing is, I find, you know, we, we get very defensive and you can see it in their eyes. I mean, the game, the team that scores the most runs wins. Mm. So we've got to score runs. So I don't mind if you actually bowled it in the 49th over um, or the 50th over off the last ball. Smithy, and our last five batters or four batters have come out and got 15 off eight balls. If we get ourselves into a position where with five overs to go, we're only three or four down, everyone going out and getting 15 off eight balls is just about a strike rate of 200. You're maximising the strike rates, but you still need to make sure that you're you're getting through those 300 balls and yeah, we just um, we haven't been able to nail it with the bat. I, you know, we, we get tentative, we get under pressure, we sort of soak up a lot of dot balls. And, um, you know, I still wonder, you know, the, 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 I'm not sure the Indian series to me was a little bit of a, a false front. Um, but again, we got bowled out twice in that series too, Smitty. Mm. Um, you're right. And that, so you didn't finish the game well. Um, I don't think you can blame the lower order, but, you know, if I look at that bottom... You know, thing, and I've got to be careful here because I don't want to be critical, but Jess Kerr is better than number 11, Smithy. Mm. Um, you know, she, she's sitting down there at number 11. I actually, if, if, if I needed eight to win off the last over, who would I actually want out in the middle? It would actually be Jess Kerr, mm. uh, believe it or not, and that would be ahead of some of the top order players. So there's a few of those things they'll look at, but the reality is it's a team game. Uh, you need to perform with bat born and in the field, and unfortunately for the White Ferns, and it hurts. And I mean, I obviously coach Susie and Hayley and Katie and... Mm. I really feel for them because, um, you know, they're, they're special people in, in Otago cricket and, and our team. But, um, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, I gave it our best, but we just weren't quite good enough. Sid, always great to catch up with you. Thanks uh, thanks for those memories against Sri Lanka and those honest thoughts about uh, the White Ferns. I don't expect you to answer this, but Brett has just texted in straight away and said, Smithy, Craig for the White Ferns coach. So I don't expect you to say anything about that. Uh, but I will thank you very much uh, for your input this morning. Uh, World Cup, far from over, but if anyone beats Australia, they will win it. Simple as that. Sid, thanks for your time. 
Thanks, mate. I'll use you as a reference. Yeah, good on you, boy. <laughs> good on you. And Brett's text as well. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, and, and on that subject of texting, uh, please do. Double eight double three, of course, is our number. Uh, come in and uh, give us your opinion about the Women's World Cup. What have you liked about it? Um, um, Carla's come in and said what's re- so refreshing for him is you don't see people running on the field every three or four overs with drinks for the batsmen like in the men's game. It's been a great tournament to watch. Uh, what are your sentiments? Uh, uh, I mean, the and let's talk about the white fans. I mean, uh, and don't hold back. Don't hold back. Um, these are times where everyone wants equality in sport and equality and payment and that sort of thing. And I support that. I fully support that. Um, but with, with uh, assessment of performance comes disappointment, etc. And we've got to look at it in a critical way. I mean, it hasn't been good. They're not going to make the last four. I just hope the World Cup doesn't die a death in this country because we're out of it. Because the quality of the women's cricket of the, si- of the size that survive and get through is good enough for anyone to watch. It's 9.22 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is, uh, what is it? It's 9.27 here on SENZ. There's so many dolls in front of me, I can't even see the clock. Uh, Dino's on the phone. I've missed you, Dean. Dean from Dunedin. Uh, thanks for calling in, mate. What's on your mind today? Uh, bugger all, mate. We feel a bit dusty. We played in the old St Kilda Golf Classic yesterday. <laughs> Oof, a bit rough, but <laughs> to wake up and hear, wake up and hear Craig and yourself talking with absolute honesty about sport and the knowledge that man has, like, mm. Someone, you said someone texted in, he's cutting his teeth with the girls' team here in um, Dunedin, and he's clearly got a lot to offer. Like, if I can sit here and lie in my bed, rather, fairly medium to well done, and get goosebumps listening to a guy talk about female cricket. He's got something special. So I, he will get, a, he'll get an opportunity, I believe. Like he can't, surely they've got to be looking at him. Because why would you play, and I don't, I didn't follow women's cricket, to be honest with you, but I've thoroughly loved it. Like that first game against the West Indies, we're, we're at the St Kilda Tavern having a few coldies, and there was a bloke there that went to school, Bayfield High, I think it was, with the girl Martin. I think it was the girl Martin. Mm, Katie and Martin, yeah. I'm surprised, that, I'm surprised Katie Martin, when she was batting, couldn't hear this guy go mental, encouraging her. I, I was blown away. I thought, this is cool. So... That game for me, there was just some individual brilliance from the West Indies. And poor old Susie, Susie Bates, she got run out. And that sort of summed up her tournament. Like, Dawley, before it started, said, we need some runs out of our top four. And Devine, unfortunately, or fortunately, was the only one that really stood up. The rest of them, those 10s and 20s, quickly, we would have won those games you were talking about. But mm. it's just not good enough. And on the day, they... they it just didn't happen. And if you muck it up, just about swore to you, if you muck it up on the first, your first gig at a tournament, it's always tough. Really, really tough. Because it gets into your head. And you, it's easy to say flush the dirty and move on. But that's easier said than done. And I think in Susie's case, it, the pressure just keeps mounting, looking for that innings. And she's more than capable. Fantastic cricketer. Mm-hmm. Beautiful girl. But it just didn't happen for her again. And Dooley said it before a ball was bowled. Dino, uh, thanks very much for those thoughts. I'll, I'm going to read out the rest of your text too, by the way, so stay stay listening to us. Uh, we've got to get, uh, take a break and get to the news, but uh, thanks very much for your call, and also uh, I'll read uh, the, the remainder of the text that you sent in as well very shortly. So 9.30 here on SENZ, and it is time for the news with Aroha.
England are 199 for the loss of nine wickets, chasing 204. They need just five runs. They look stunned, the English players on the bench. Brooke Halliday, the 26-year-old, starts her approach. Short run up, also Shropshire, who drives beautifully through the covers and into a gap, out to the boundary, four runs. We are tied. England just won away. What a lovely stroke from the number 11. She's doing it again for England. I'm getting a few extra grey hairs, I think. <laughs> England, one run away. And it will be Shrubsol facing. And she gets a low full toss and she hits it through mid-wicket. Pass the New Zealanders and out to the fence towards the boundary. It does not matter. England only needed one. And they've got there by the barest of margins. England have seen off the threat of New Zealand to stay alive in the race for the semi-finals and in doing so have extinguished the hopes and dreams of the host nation New Zealand but only just England win another quite extraordinary match at this ICC Women's World Cup by just one wicket. Well, Daniel McCarty stealing lines there. Amazing. Stealing lines. Barest of margins. Wonder where he got that from. Uh, look, the temper bedpost uh, text machine has been hot this morning, and that's a good thing. That is a really good thing. It means you care about women's cricket. Uh, and to further that conversation, we're going to talk now to Katrina Keenan. Now, Katrina, of course, vastly experienced player in her own right, 54 one day in the Nationals, test cricket as well, right through. Uh, and then, of course, was a coach, too, of the White Ferns at one point. Uh, and I, I would imagine looking on at this tournament with, um, I guess, a very, very keen interest. Katrina, thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, it has been a little bit of a tale of woe, though, unfortunately. It has, morning, Smithy. And, and look, I, you know, as you said, as a former player and, and as someone who had a, an opportunity to, to work with the White Ferns for a short amount of time, I mean, it, it's not only really frustrating, but, you know, I actually feel sad as well because, you know, the, this, this team and this group of players, um, you know, they've, they've promised a lot and uh, we know what they're capable of. They, they are individually and, and as a group. They, they have talent. They have ability. But, unfortunately, they haven't performed at this tournament. Mm. And, and if we actually look back historically, it, this, it shouldn't be such a surprise. That, that's how I feel. I think over the last however many years, if I just even go back a couple of World Cups, you know, we've, we've failed to front. Uh, we've had series losses against South Africa, um, you know, England, Australia, and I think from memory there was even a loss to India somewhere in the mix there. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, we've been struggling for some time, and we, we hoped for the best for this team, and I'm sure they have probably left no stone unturned in the last sort of 12 months. That's what they've talked about in terms of their preparation, but unfortunately we're still not we're still not good enough. Okay, I'm going to get a bit critical here, and I've still got some commentary to do, and I'm not really worried about it whether um, they, they they hear this or not. But I think if you look at the Australian squad, they've got a wealth of riches across the board, and I don't think in, in any sort of a day of the week we could perhaps hope to meet, to match that, Katrina. But when you pick two players in your squad that you really were never going to use, and I'm talking about two very young players, and Fran Jonas, who played the first game and unfortunately was uh, found wanting a wee bit towards the end there. Uh, and, and George Plimmer, who has never played, the only girl in the tournament who has never played a one-day international. You've basically got a squad of 13 when you've left out experienced players. Don't get that, I'm sorry. Yeah, look, I, I, I can only, you know, think that the decision to include these young players, which, look, 
I, in terms of, you know, um, uh, talent ID and, and moving the game forward and looking to the future, I think it's awesome that these young players who have, you know, um, started to perform, you know, at domestic level, have had a couple of seasons playing. Um, I think it's it's great that they have had an opportunity to be part of um, this this World Cup tournament and experience. But, you know, I, I did, you know, I was surprised at some of the perhaps selections and, and particularly I was surprised about Lee Casperick's, um non-selection. Mm. Um, you know, I'm only assuming, you know, of course, like any high-performance environment, you're going to have some selection criteria that are in place. And clearly she hasn't met something or some things. I don't know what that is. Um, hard to see her left out of the side when she's performed, you know, pretty consistently for New Zealand over the past. So I guess, you know, um, there are those questions. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really close closely involved in the game anymore so um, I, I don't know you know I don't know what the reasons for, for that would be and yeah yeah it's, it's, it's baffling for me okay, okay we knew that we knew the acid had to go on our top four there's no doubt about that um, and uh, they've flattered to deceive a wee bit they've never really quite I mean this thing's about partnerships you know that I know that uh, building partnerships we've never really had two of them firing together uh, to get those big scores and yesterday another classic example of that Oh yeah, you're right, and we and we've sort of all all sort of commented you know, about the lack of you know a top five batter looking to bat deep into the innings, and you know we know that um, as you said partnerships are significant to, to getting big totals, and I, I really I'm in a bit of a loss because you know uh, I think there, you know there have been some positives, there have you know Divine's batting has been a bright bright point for this tournament, you know Mealy Kerr has shown fantastic promise. You know, other players, Hannah Rowe, Jess Kerr, I think they've all shown some improvement and good consistency. But, you know, we, our batting has been problematic. And I think, you know, a couple of reasons for that. I, I feel like situationally, um, we, we get ourselves into situations where maybe there's perceived pressure when there actually isn't. Um, I think also, and I think Superdate's dismissal um, yesterday was an example of that. You know, we were going so well um, in, in that first 10 overs in the power play. And then, you know, just this, this poor decision-making from her. And she's such a fantastic player and such a talented player, a wonderful player. But I think, too, Smithy, you know, I, I think we've got some technical deficiencies with our batting. I, I, see, I can see that the players have tried to advance their game and they're, they're looking to, you know, change the position where they bat on the crease, looking to come down and use a bit of the crease. But I still feel like a default is to, to hit across the line. Mm. Um, I still feel like we're always shaping to hit across the line of the ball, and I, and I feel that that's, that's a real issue for us. We also uh, are opening the face a lot. We're trying to, you know, a ball turning back into us. We're trying to run that ball down into, you know, sort of the, the slip area or, or third man, and I just feel that they're, they're just simple, simple errors in cricket. I mean, you know, if you look at the way the Australians batted um, throughout this tournament, they hit with a full face of the bat. You know, they time the ball, they use their feet, they get down the wicket, and just because they've made that decision to come down the wicket doesn't mean then that they open the shoulders and, you know, look to go square. You know, they hit down the ground, they, they play well off the back foot, they hit well square, and I, I guess, you know, we, we, we're just not quite there with our batting. No, we're not. Uh, what about the, the bowling side of things? Um, you know, Leah Tahu, who for me has been, uh, even though she's got wickets, been way too expensive for me and, and gone from being an opening bowler to almost the third or fourth change bowler at times. So I think overall quite disappointing tournament for Leah. Yeah, I mean, I've been surprised to see Leah, um, 
bowling, you know, first change. Um, you know, she is a new ball bowler, and I think that's where she's most effective when she's got that new ball and, and certainly conditions at the start of the innings favourable for her. I mean, I've, I've obviously seen her d- develop wonderfully and progress over the last few seasons, um, and the way she's been able to use that, that, that bouncer and some of her slow ball, uh, slow ball changes, change-ups, you know, has been re- really exciting. She's definitely, you know, lost, lost the pace that she had you know, several seasons ago, um, but I think that that's not unexpected. Um, I think for her, perhaps the injury, you know, has been um, problematic for her and, yeah, disappointing because she has been, you know, successful for New Zealand for a number of years. I have been really pleased with how Hannah Rowe has um, come on, though. She is, you know, to me, she looks like she's just dropped the pace a wee bit for the sake of, you know, um, being consistent and trying to bowl the ball in good areas and try and shape the ball and get that ball um, past the outside edge of the bat. So some positives, but again, collectively, not not enough. No, it's, it's not. It's not been enough. So I mean, um, it's almost like an execution. Well, I'm performing here this morning, but and uh, of course the event isn't even over yet. Uh, but I've, I've got to, uh, what worries me is depth. What about the next? Um, the next wave of players coming through, Katrina. Uh, I look at uh, some of the women's Super Smash, etc., and that's about the only uh, coverage they get on tally at times. So uh, that's all you can look at. I, I just wonder about our level of depth going forward and our strategies. Uh, are we looking at a new broom here, or uh, will some of the, the older players hang in there for the likes of the Commonwealth Games and, and uh, other things coming up on the horizon? Yeah, I, I would... I, I mean... I would I would say that I too have concerns about the the, the depth coming through. Um, I know that there's been some wonderful progress made in women's cricket. Absolutely, there's been massive shifts in terms of governance. Look, figures are indicating that there's more girls, you know, playing the game, which is great, um, which is awesome. Um, but I'm just not sure, uh, you know, how the the programs that are underpinning you know, our current high-performance program. I mean, I'm just not sure that they're providing uh, the level of skill and, and, and support that, that players, you know, wanting to come through and progress through, you know, the grades from age group through to domestic to New Zealand are there. And I think there's some big questions for New Zealand cricket around their high-performance program and, and, and the systems that are underpinning that. Um, and that's not for me to um, answer for, because, you know, I'm no longer involved in that capacity. But I think, you know, in terms of... Uh, I, th- I think a lot of the investment, which has been massive into the game, I think that has, and rightfully so to a degree, has gone into this top tier of players mm. um, to give them the best opportunity to perform on the world stage. But I, I would really love to see resource um, firmly put in the direction of our age group players and our age group programs and I would love to see um, in terms of depth you know more resource around the level below the white ferns so I'm talking about an A program or an under 21 program an opportunity for those players coming through to travel internationally to play in a range of conditions and a range of sides and as you mentioned Smithy with the Commonwealth Games I would love to see an opportunity for a, a youth side or a, a you know a, a development team of some sort, perhaps with a with a little bit of a mix of experience, but a real opportunity for the players coming through to, to start, you know, to, to get some experience playing at that next level.
Great thoughts, Katrina. Really appreciated your time this morning and uh, your insight into what's going on. I can tell you that um, on our uh, text machine here, uh, it's been frantic, and 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 a lot of it's been critical, um, and it's some good observations. And you, that suggests to me, uh, Katrina, that people care, and and that's a big plus out of this. Yeah, Smithy, and look, you know, we, I think that's a really true comment there. I mean, we we do care. I mean, I'm, I feel, you know, I feel sad at mm. times, um, and I feel for the girls because, you know, individually. Um, you know, and as a team, they're, they're, they've, they've got talent, they've got ability, but for some reason, they're just not able to perform consistently under pressure on a repeatable basis against the top teams in the world. But there is no denying their effort, there is no denying their desire and their, their you know, I mean, they'll be so disappointed. And I just, mm. I really do feel for them, but I think it does present a massive opportunity for New Zealand cricket now to really pull things apart and and look look forward to the future. And that may be not necessarily winning, might not necessarily be the number one outcome in the short term. You know, it might yeah. be about putting the right systems in place, the right people, um, you know, all, all of those things and getting the game moving forward. Katrina, great thoughts. Thanks very much for your time this morning. Enjoy chatting to you. Katrina Keenan there, absolutely fantastic uh, in-depth thoughts and uh, certainly a player with great and coach with great history uh, in our White Fern setup. Um, and you can tell um, from her voice that she is generally, uh, genuinely hurting uh, about this performance in the last month. So disappointing. Uh, it's 9.45 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it is uh, 9.51 here on SCNZ. I can give you a live cricket update. The West Indies uh, defending for their life uh, in this test match in Barbados. Uh, Joe Root declared and uh, left them about 282 to win. They're not going to get that. Uh, they've got 17.2 overs to bat. They're 98 for five and it's turning square. And the Englishmen all around the bat, I think it's one, two, three, four players with helmets on uh, fielding around the bat. So there's plenty going on in that test match and England's still a big chance to win it although they need to get rid of Braithwaite, Craig Braithwaite, who has batted uh, so long in this Test match, it's not even funny. I think second only to Brian Lara in terms of minutes batted uh, in a Test match for the, the great West Indian side. So uh, back in those days, a terrific effort uh, from uh, England to fight their way back into that. In the Gulf of Valspar Championship, Sam Burns leads at the moment. He's 18 under after 12 holes. Uh, and Justin Thomas is floating around four, uh, 40 under. He's four behind. Riley at 17 under. Uh, Neesmith at 15 under. Uh, they look the main candidates to win the latest PGA event. Texts uh, coming in from all over the place. Uh, hi, Smithy. 23 times failed to bat 50 overs, and yet two of the last three Ruth Martin Cup winners, women's equivalent of the Red Path Cup, that is, uh, Natalie Dodd and Kate Abraham, Abraham uh, both averaged 70-plus over the last three years in domestic cricket. Not considered because the White Fern coach considered their strike rate is not high enough. <coughs> White Ferns can even bat, can't even bat 300 balls, yet they bring a player in George Plummer uh, as a batting replacement who has 40 domestic innings with a top score of 38 and an average of 12. Lee Kasperich, top-rated New Zealand bowler in the ICC rankings, left out for young Fran Jonas. Politics? Or selection. 
Well, you make up your mind on that. Uh, certainly, there will be questions asked, and questions do have to be asked. If they want to take it seriously, then uh, they have to look uh, at the people putting them under the microscope. So uh, New Zealand cricket will have to do that. Uh, the, the Commonwealth Games are not far away, and World Cups roll around very quickly these days. What are they going to do? It's 9.53 here on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when to fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today Right, let's kick off the week with a successful punt, shall we? Uh, I've got the Steel to beat the Mystics in the netball tonight Very evenly um, priced game, I've got to say But the Steel are buck seventy-five. And a couple of basketball games. The Utah Jazz to beat the Knicks this afternoon at a dollar sixty-two, and the Philadelphia 76ers, fairly firm favourites at a buck thirty-five, to beat the Toronto Raptors. Now that'll get you three dollars eighty-two, three dollars eighty-two in return for uh, your money. So uh, that's not a bad return to start the week at all. Uh, a couple of texts uh, have also come in. Um, as Highsmith, even though he was a bit, but it is a, uh, he was a bit. But as the comment Craig just made, uh, Craig Cumming were talking about, I don't want to be critical, a fair bit of the problem. This team needs to be criticised. It doesn't have to be nasty, but constructive criticism is needed. Carl, absolutely right. Um, I fully appreciate that, and I I really do appreciate your text as well. Uh, And this other one, uh, unfortunately, I can see the Women's Rugby World Cup going the same way. Well, at the moment, of course, they've got ground to make up on the sides they played uh, over in the home nations, of course, England and France, haven't they? Uh, so they'll be going about that business, the, the planning, the squad selection, etc. It's closing in quick, not too far away at all. So, uh, yeah, let's hope the next version of the World Cup at home, later this year, slightly more successful. Hasn't been good this one, has it, so far? However, I think the forecast in Hamilton today, not too good. I think they're copying a bit of Auckland's weather as well down there, so... Uh, that game with the West Indies involved today, which is of interest to us. Uh, they might get a point. a point. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Tomatini again for Leofano. Chiefs defence holding up well as they move it across to the left. Now Making the low pass Z gets it nicely across to Fumai and the left winger is in. That is a beautiful try by Neria Fumai. Nice to As Weber too. swings it away again for Gatlin. Out of the centre field. Beautifully done. And uh, now Slater looking to line up his support. Couldn't quite find it though. Weber gets it quickly though. And they move to the left. And so it called of the power man. Beautiful offload. And Jonah Lowe scores an outstanding try for the Chiefs. Oh, that's why they are the form team of the competition, the Chiefs. How about the razzle-dazzle? Absolutely outstanding. Justin Marshall there with uh, Grant Nisbet, their comments on Sky Sport uh, about the only game that was played on this side of the Tasman because of COVID and the Super Rugby competition. Uh, of course, uh, the Chiefs have also had 17 players unavailable <coughs> but still managed to field a side to face Moana Pacifica and win by that margin of 59-12. to 12. A little bit uh, closer at halftime, of course, but it blew out in the second half. Uh, but really, it was great to see both teams playing anyway uh, with what's going on within the country. And joining us now is uh, uh, an SENZ team member, uh, Ian Jones, of course, the great Carmo, uh, who along with Ricardo Ball does Chiefs Mana on a Tuesday night here on this very station. Uh, Carmo, good morning to you. It's been a long time. How are you going? 
Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Good morning to listeners. It has been a long time, Smithy, but uh, enjoying your comments during the Cricket World Cup. Another heartbreak for our girls yesterday, but it's good to see the World Cup in this country. It just, you know, we'll talk about rugby soon, but just having those World Cups here, we've got the rugby ladder on this mm. year, just inspires a new generation, didn't they? Love to see the, the kids at Eden Park yesterday get themselves involved. Win or lose, it doesn't really matter to them. They just see their stars out in the out in the field and something to aspire to. So well done to everyone involved. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, totally agree. And the kids uh, and uh, you know, uh, young boys and girls that have been at this World Cup and it's been uh, it's been great to see them around. And our cricket grounds are cool. Apart from Eden Park, really, uh, they can run around, they can play. I mean, it's it's been fantastic, Karma. You, you, you've absolutely nailed it. And if if nothing else apart from that comes out of it, it's been a success anyway. So, uh, mate, let's um, focus in on uh, the only game that was played over the weekend. All eyes, of course, on Moana Pacifica and how they develop into the competition this year. Uh, and the Chiefs, of course, are heavily affected by COVID themselves, showed their depth over the weekend. Yeah, I was really pleased, firstly on the Chiefs, to, to put my hand up for that game. Sport, to me, Smithy, is so much about momentum, and they gathered a lot of momentum with that Crusaders win. I mean, they had that good first up win against the Chiefs, and unfortunately, you know, they had that bye weekend, or couldn't play, so you, you lose a bit of that kind of that playability, that momentum. So it was great that they went up to the outside stadium, had that game. And, and I, I just love what the Chiefs are doing. I mean, we, we can talk about, if you want, the director of rugby role, mm. Warren, Warren Gittin, which I think is having a major, major impact on, on what Clayton McMillan can do on a Saturday. But what I loved about the Chiefs is that every player, 1 to 23, or whoever came on, 1 to 36, they might have gone down to uh, in the weekend, knew their role, knew what they had to do. And Without being disrespectful to Scotty Robinson, who's got an amazing crop of players, and they absolutely know what they're doing, Crusaders. It reminded me so much, Smithy, of some of those Robbie Dean's coach teams that came on, no matter what player it was, they were clinical, they stuck to their game plan. When scores blew out, even in those old Crusaders days, they just stuck to what they did. And that's what the Chiefs did, I thought, on Saturday night. You know, They had an opportunity maybe to, to kind of go off script a bit, but they didn't. Uh, players who were given the opportunity did what they were asked to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, and that's the makings of a really good side. Also, I think the makings of great backroom staffs. Clayton McMillan, clearly. But uh, having get from their director of rugby, a new role in New Zealand, um, one that we're not always used to, uh, but one that I think they're going to have major benefits for. OK, let's... Uh, I mean, there's no doubt the Chiefs uh, look very, very strong and when their, f- their full complement is back on deck, uh, it's going to be an a, a intriguing uh, remainder of the competition, uh, even though it's been abbreviated and upset by COVID, as most of life has uh, been camo. Let's look at um, the, other, uh, the other side, Moana Pacifica. Now, are we expecting too much? I mean, and what are you seeing from Moana Pacifica in this year, uh, their debut year? Well, we shouldn't expect anything apart from them building, them getting an understanding of the intensity that they need to train with week in, week out, uh, the pressure that they need to apply um, during the 80 minutes of a game. And there's no question, and we saw that uh, in most of the games today, Smithy, that they will apply pressure to the opposition. At the moment, it's for small patches of four, ten-minute spells, something like that. And great teams can apply pressure for long periods of play, therefore they come out on top, and that's a learning curve. You can't come from playing club rugby for some of these guys at NPC up to this level and expect to train, prepare, recover, live 24/7 in that bubble at that intensity, and then 
do it you know, every weekend. So that's a learning curve, no questions. They have to be given the time to do that. But what we saw was uh, our collectiveness, which we know most Pacifica teams have anywhere, um, a real pride to play for that jersey, which which is a absolute a huge tick in their direction. And then some amazing ability on attack uh, with the width that they can play at. I guess on the flip side of that, Smithy, what they really have to work really hard on is that set phase, not even domination, but parity at least to be able to deliver um, assured ball on every set phase occasion. Mm. Okay, let's uh, can we look across the Tasman one? Uh, interesting over there. It's always nice to compare at this stage of the season because uh, at some point hopefully we'll be up against them. Now Fiji Drua narrowly lost to uh, the Western Force just by two points over the weekend. So it appears that they, just just if you looked at it on results, that they're perhaps uh, a little bit ahead of Moana Pacifica in terms of their development or is it the fact that uh, the competition over there is perhaps not as harsh as it is here for them to enter into? How are you reading the Drua at this point? Mate, I, I, you you absolutely cannot compare competitions, mate. I'm not the guy to talk to about the Australian competition because all I'm watching is the Chiefs and um, our Chiefs ladies dominate their competition. <laughs> I'm not so stressed uh, about the Australians and what they're doing. We'll play them in due course, but this is a tough competition. I mean, you look at some of the passage of play the Highlanders have put together this year, which has been exceptional passage of play, and we're talking once more we talked with Moana Pacifica, they are putting teams under pressure for, for certain periods of play, but not long periods of play. Um, and if they apply that same pressure to the Reds, the Brumbies, the Force, the Rebels, the Drua, well, you know, I think the results for them would be different. So we'll play them in due course. I'm not an expert, to be honest with you, Smithy, on the, the Australian competition. I just worry about what we're doing here and, and loving what we're doing there. But I don't, we just cannot compare comps, mate. We um, you know, wait till Moana Pacifica get their chance across the ditch or some of these teams come to Mount Smart um, and, and they'll be quite a settled side by then. The coaching staff will understand the routines of the week mm. um, and they'll do pretty well. Okay, uh, let's, uh, I take that on board and, and I, I also want, uh, I got the hint there that you might want to talk a little bit about Super Rugby or Picky, which wrapped up last night mm. with your Chiefs Manawa beating the Blues 35-0, that's comprehensive to take the inaugural title. Now it was no doubt when the squads were announced they were one of the favourite options because of the quality and depth in the side and they've delivered. Yeah, and you've still got to put it out in the paddock too and just exactly like we mentioned at the top of the show with the Women's Cricket World Cup here, uh, you know, exciting and, and a, a new generation will start to dream that maybe they'll be there one day exactly the same with the women's competition now live on TV you know on a regular basis these ladies are, are household names now and, and the next generation will aspire to be exactly the same from all towns up and down the country you know I know the, the pride that we have in Portia Woodman even though she's you know, not born up, up in the north but what we think she's a Kaikoua girl well that's what we believe is anyway, and, and you know, oh, how savage the, the work that she was doing, another Northland girl. And these Northland girls, all up and down the land, actually, Smithy, will just one day dream to be there too. So now I congratulate all the girls. The, the quality of play um, I thought was exceptional, uh, so physical. Um, and the girls, even though the Chiefs were favoured to win, uh, you still have to deliver, don't you, Smithy? And they delivered in, in buckets. Um, I only wish this competition hadn't stopped. Uh, they look like the girls are only just getting started. Um, and somehow, and they can't do it this year clearly, but somehow if they could 
could give them another round and another go, you'd actually see a better quality of rugby, I think, uh, uh, with the warm-up games almost out of the way. I think it's been great, and I think it's been great for uh, one of the reasons you mentioned earlier, of course, is the Women's Rugby World Cup, which is closing in quick. Uh, what are you seeing within uh, the, so, the standard of all picky that's going to stand us in good stead there, and um, are we able, in your mind, to, to turn around those results from uh, the end of last year? Yeah, what I really, really noticed, and not so much the set phase, which hopefully will take care of itself in the Rugby World Cup, but our ability at the breakdown to... One, one, or two things, to be honest with you, Smithy. Turnover ball, I think we've seen an exceptional some turnovers, so that that counter from defence to attack and that ability to switch really quickly and play with the width that we got and the, you know, the strike force that we have. So I think that's been a, a standout and something I think we can um, really target the other teams. So stay on our defensive systems, target the breakdown uh, when we see there's an opportunity and that transition from that defence to attack. So I've been really impressed by that, um, firstly. Um, and secondly, which I've been more impressed by um, than, than I was when the Black Ferns played in their tour last year, you can watch a few of those games, is the fitness level smithy. Mm. You know, with fitness comes concentration. With concentration comes uh, better skills, better decision-making, and you can stay in the game a lot longer. So clearly they've all had a good off-season. Um, clearly already for which some of them will be the biggest tournament of their lives. So those are the two standouts and two takeaways I've taken that I'd like to think our, um, our, our woman can take into the Rugby World Cup. Oh, I know, you've, as you've been saying, you've been focusing mainly on the Chiefs and what's been going on here at home with uh, the Super Rugby Orpiki as well. But uh, I'd just like to touch on uh, the Six Nations, if I can, Carmo, briefly, and the results oh, over the weekend. Yeah. Italy uh, yeah. upsetting Wales. I think that's Italy's first win in about 38 games. Ireland 26 uh, comprehensive over Scotland. And uh, really of interest to us, of course, is France's uh, continued development and expertise. 25-13 over England. Yeah, first thing, because I watched that French-English uh, game, first thing, wow, what a, what a stadium start to France is. What an absolute spectacle. What a place that you'd absolutely dream and want to play. And, like, I know it's pretty expensive to get over there for people, but if anyone can get over there to watch the Rugby World Cup played in that stadium, let's hope for dream all-black France final. What an absolute occasion to... One of the great sporting occasions, I think, of a, 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 a rugby test match in Paris. Uh, what, a, what an amazing display. But boy, they're big men, aren't they, the French? Mm. I mean, we've kind of, we're trying to play a real speed game, trying to speed and play width, and we do have that ability when we punch in close to create some width out wide. But boy, the French have gone with some real size that can you know, dominate the game and physically dominate you. So that's something that we really have to um, get our thinking caps on about and how we can physically match those guys that retain our speed and our skill and the width that we want to play with. But, yeah, wonderful tournament. Um, we, we do look on, or I do look on, with some jealousy of the, the big stadiums, uh, the occasions, um, and it's more than the rugby, isn't it, those test matches over there, Smithy? Um, it, it's a day to celebrate, and the French can celebrate with a young back line. Um, but and England did this as well at, at times, that not long periods, get back to that again, Smithy, that mm. how you put teams under pressure for long periods. The English did dominate for 10, 15 minutes that second half, and that gave a bit of a, I think, for something for Ian Foster to think about how we can turn them around, how we can put some of these young people under pressure. And when you're put in a situation where you're not used to, fast forward into the Rugby World Cup here, 
um, that's when you can start to see some cracks. Great to catch up with you, Carmo. Of course, tomorrow night, folks, you're on SENZ with Ricardo Ball. Chief's Mana is the subject. It's our weekly feature, and uh, Ian Jones very much a part of that. Uh, thanks very much for your reflections on what's happened over the weekend, and uh, well done on the Chiefs, mate. I know you're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, when you say um, really focusing on the Chiefs, Smithy, I'm only focusing on the Chiefs, so uh, I'll leave you with... Uh, Go the Chiefs. <laughs> Carmo, as always, great to catch up with you. Thanks, mate. Stay safe. Um, it is, uh, what is it here, 10.16 uh, here on SENZ, and it is uh, panel time coming up next. And this morning, uh, we have Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis to talk to a, a few sporting issues, shall we say. Uh, they've got some serious thoughts on them. Back shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Expertise Panel. Brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Do try, yeah. Do try that Dilma tea. I've drunk uh, plenty of it over the years, I must say, and it's fire, mighty fine stuff. 10.22 here on SENZ, and the panel this morning consists of Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. Uh, we've got a number of uh, topics to cover this morning, especially after uh, a hot weekend of action. Uh, Jamie, can I begin with you, please? Uh, Super Rugby or Picky is done and dusted. First year in, abbreviated, quickfire stuff. What did you make of it in the end? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Good morning, Brad. Uh, I, it, it's really kind of hard to know what to make of it, um, considering the circumstances that it got played under. Uh, even before the COVID disruptions, um, there were quite a lot of raised eyebrows at the fact that it was only going to be four weeks long um, with only the four teams um, playing one round each. Uh, and then when you sort of had a good look at it, you, you kind of almost had to sympathise with New Zealand rugby because it's like, well, how else are they going to be able to going to be able to do it. Um, but then uh, once the disruption started happening, um, the players moved into a bubble, um, became apparent that uh, it wasn't suiting all of them because you know, obviously they're not fully professional players and so they're having to completely readjust their lives in order to get put in there. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, there's a few stories coming out of that. Um, but uh, the rugby itself, well, I mean... It was entertaining. There was there was some good stuff, but I think that given that Super Rugby Opiki was supposed to be set up as a way of advancing the Black Ferns' chances of of winning the World Cup and, and just doing something for their uh, program in general, well, I, it didn't really tell me anything I didn't already know. You know, like uh, I know that Ruby Tui and Portia Woodman and and Kelly Brazier and so on are good players, and they showed that. Uh, but what I was hoping to see was uh, a bit of a fix in the things that went wrong on last year's Northern Tour for the Black Ferns, and that was discipline and set police. And neither of those things happened. In fact, yesterday in those two games, there was 68 penalties across both 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 games, and that's something that really needs to get looked at. Um, the set piece across all, all teams, including the Chiefs, was a bit shaky. So you know, I understand the constraints that they were under to do that, but I thought that those areas would have been something that should have been a work on. And I feel bad being a bit of a grunch and, and saying, like, well, hang on, let's just st- step back and, and, and sort of focus on what this thing should have been about because, you know, the players obviously had fun and it was a good time and people were entertained. But at the end of the day, if this is going to be the competition that NZ Rugby wants it to be, uh, it should be more focused on the key areas that are going to help out the national team. Brad, did you see any uh, good things in terms of that, um, what's coming up later in the year, the Women's World Cup? Did you, did you see it as a great development learning tool there? 
Look, Jamie surmised that perfectly and, and beautifully. Like, uh, on myself, I feel like I can add. My, I guess my point is that I just feel like we need a little bit more, um, kind of feel a little bit shortchanged. Uh, yeah, I, but in terms of the, the set piece and the defence, a little bit disappointed, again, in their structure and stuff like that. And it is a bit worrying when you consider how how outplayed the Black Ferns were at the end of last year um, by a very good England side and a very good French side that uh you know those problems still exist at, at the ground level with those with those players um very good on attack but we just seem to lack a little bit uh when the when the heat goes on uh so yeah I just I just feel like we need more it needs to be an expanded competition next year um if the world gets back to normal as we hope mm. maybe we can include the Australian teams in it and just have a bigger competition with with more focus on the players and and again have them playing alongside the men so that we get good crowds there and and get more publicity more eyeballs on on the women's game just looking uh Jamie at the six six nations actually just watching a few highlights myself that I hadn't seen over the weekend and Kieran Crowley of course at the helm of Italy upsetting Wales their first win in donkey's years I think about 36 or 37 matches on the trot they weren't able to get one man scenes uh, passionate scenes there yeah and uh, not only a win but the way in which they got it um, that that winning try uh, by um, uh, Padovani there set up by Angie Capuzzo um, a, a guy who's I think listed at weighing is about 70 kgs and looks like he's about 13 years old mm. uh, carving up the Welsh defence what a finish to a game I was, uh, it was absolutely stunning I, I think that's the, uh, the rugby highlight of the, of the weekend for me uh, right there and you've got to feel for the Italians they've done it tough for I think yeah, seven years now and Kieran Crowley is a guy who's come in with a pretty patchy coaching record uh, in, the, in the past. Um, I remember seeing him getting, getting that Italy job and thinking like, well, you know, this could go sort of one of either ways. But he has got some real talent in there um, in that team, some young guys. Uh, Paolo Gabisi at first five, there's a lot of raps on him. Um, hopefully we can see these guys flourish and become more of a force in international rugby. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Brad, I want to change tack if I can now uh, and mm-hmm. go to UFC. And I've got to ask you this question, apart from the obvious answer, which is money, why does Dan Hooker keep doing it? Why? Yeah, look, um, this is hard for me because I've known Dan for for a decade now, pretty close to a decade. Um, Interviewed him many times. I've uh, been at the gym with him, uh, you know, met his, met his little little girl and his wife, and I know how much the sport means to him. He's got his own gym in Ellerslie that he's developing, and, and the kids that he's training, he's helping out immensely, and they really look up to him. I found that extremely hard to watch yesterday. Uh, you know, Arnold Allen is a very, very good fighter, but definitely Dan's beaten guys better than him uh, in, in his career. I mean, he's hung with some of the best in the world, and he just didn't look like the Dan Hooker of old. And, uh, you know, like, I, I know that, a few fights ago when he lost to Michael Chandler for a, for a split second, he was contemplating retirement, and he was looking at this move down to featherweight as a potential sort of career like rebirth for him in a way, and, and an exciting rebirth with a great division. But I just it was it was a horrific watch, and um and and as a fan of Dan the Human, um maybe it, it might be time for him to think about it because I think he's going to make an amazing coach post-career in the mold of a Eugene Behrman and I know how much he means to the city kickboxing guys including mm. Israel Adesanya so yeah it's just it was pretty upsetting to be honest to watch you know someone that you know he's just a very very good human he's one of the good guys of New Zealand sport to see him lose like that was was pretty horrific. Okay so uh, what's on the horizon uh, coming up for UFC fans New Zealand wise? 
Uh, Kaikata Francis fighting this weekend. This is a massive fight, Smithy. If he wins this fight, he books himself a flyweight title fight probably towards the back end of the year. Again, Kai, another really, really good bloke of New Zealand sport. He's done phenomenally well in this division. He beat a former world champion in Cody Garbrandt last time out, uh, fighting a very tough guy in Askar Askarov, who's a, a good Russian mixed martial artist. If he can get past this, the world is his oyster, and he's certainly got a chance. He's looked phenomenal in his last two fights. So big, big weekend for Kaikata Francis. Look forward to those uh, UFC bouts coming up. Um, really is uh, gaining a lot of traction in this country with uh, every time one of our people actually participates. So it's, it's terrific. Hey, look, we're going to take a break, fellas, if we can. Uh, when we come back, well, let's talk about a, a women's cricket, of course, the Warriors, of course, over the weekend. A bit of a familiar, familiar there, wasn't it? Uh, I can tell you just before we go to the news, uh, 133 for five, the West Indies. So it looks like uh, with only five and a half overs to go, they have survived and will not lose that test match to England. And in the Valspar Championship, Sam Burns has a two-shot lead over Justin Thomas with three holes to go. Here's Aroha with the news. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Brad Lewis and Jamie Wall with us this morning. Jamie, uh, well, uh, I've been following, of course, uh, the Cricket World Cup around the New Zealand as it's been uh, unfolding. And right from uh, the first game against the West Indies, uh, the White Ferns have been up against it. And yesterday was just another classic example of uh, a performance which was a little bit underwhelming at times. What have you made of it? Uh, I think you're being kind by saying it's been a little bit underwhelming. It's been very underwhelming. Um, right from the start, uh, from the very first game, it just feels like the White Ferns campaign just got off to a bad start and hasn't really got back on back on track. It's been far too dependent on too few players. And once they either get injured, like what happened with Sophie Devine yesterday, or just fail to fire, um, the rest of the team can't make up for what's what, what they're leaving out there. And even when England, who have been similarly disappointing in this World Cup, uh, had a complete brain explosion and was it, lost five wickets for bugger all runs there at the end and, and handed the White Ferns this amazing opportunity to win, win the game, mm. um, couldn't be taken. Uh, I mean, if there's one good thing about, about the way the White Ferns have gone about this tournament, is that, uh, that they've been very exciting finishes and it's kept people watching them. Uh, which has been good, but you know, we—I remember—we talked uh, right at the start about expectations um, for the White Ferns, and we we agreed that semi-finals, at the absolute least, would would is is what we're after. And now it looks like they're not even going to make those. So this has to go down as as a disappointment, um, uh, especially considering they're playing at home. Uh, it's, and them bowing out of a tournament uh, at home just does the World Cup a bit of a disservice as well. So. And what what actually has been, you know, a really good tournament uh, across the board. Uh, some really, really good cricket played. Um, obviously, Australia seemed to be head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, but it would have been nice to at least have had a New Zealand side that may have eventually played them in the semis with a sniff of a chance there. But that looks like it's not going to be happening. Yeah, I totally agree, actually. To me, I really do hope that it doesn't 
die a bit of a death uh, because we're effectively out of it. I, I really do because uh, what I've seen, um, Brad in particular, is is that the standard of women's cricket and in a lot of areas has markedly picked up, even though I think we appear to be a little bit behind in some of that. I look at that Australian women's team. Uh, the, the skill factors uh, that they've got uh, are quite incredible. Most complete World Cup squad I think I've ever seen in, in any sport. Yeah, it's it's the best women's cricket team of all time. Like, you look at that side, and I mean, even in the game against the White Ferns, we had them three or four down, and you saw what what, what uh, Gardner and, and Elise Perry did. Uh, that that team is so stacked. Their bowling lineup is fantastic. They're so deep in their batting. It's it's a it's an it's a, almost a the perfect cricket team. Uh, you know, with Meg Lanning leading leading the batting lineup and um, with their great bowling lineup, it'd be a travesty if they don't win the tournament. As far as the White Ferns go. Let's be realistic. They should they should be five and one. Like you know, there's something that that went wrong there. That you know they just can't get over the line. Should have beaten the West Indies. They had that game one in the final over, and then a brain explosion by a couple of batters. Katie Martin was batting superbly, and then got herself out. And then you know we bat the fifty overs against South Africa. We beat them, and if, if they bat the fifty overs against England, they probably beat them too. So uh, you know they've only got themselves to blame. Um, and and I think rightly so. There's, there should be some criticism thrown out because if this was you know the Black Caps, there would be. And um, we've missed a golden opportunity to make a final, um, albeit against a team that probably would have hammered us uh, and I can't see anyone getting close to the Aussies. No, I can't either uh, to be perfectly honest. It's been um, a a very poor effort uh, to be fair Uh, and speaking of those um, Jamie, (laughs) I didn't see it myself but here we go again, the Warriors let one slip. Well, I understand and I'll talk to Vossi after 11 o'clock about this folks, uh, that we did score quite a controversial try I wasn't able to see it uh, yeah, yeah, right at the end of the uh, first half there, um, uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty dodgy, dodgy try that the bunker decided to give to the Warriors. So there, there, there's a first um, that the the bunker um, went the Warriors' way. Um, unfortunately, they they didn't want to give the Warriors any love after that. I think uh, the Warriors didn't score a point in the second half um, against the Titans side that uh, wasn't really up to much either, really. Um, uh, I think it all started going wrong right from the start. I think the, the Warriors conceded a try straight off the kickoff, um, and just it just they, they looked really disjointed. Um, it, it's kind of saying something when Wade Egan is your most potent attacking threat uh, out there, um, and I, I just feel like it's just going to be a really long long season if, if this is. The sort of standard that they're starting off with, um, that they need, they just need something to just start clicking really, really fast, uh, because otherwise this is just going to be, we're going to be doing this every week, um, having the same conversation, mm. uh, and I don't really want to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brad, I heard a little chortle in the background. Obviously, you kind of agree. <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's the Warriors, right? Like we've been handed a really handy draw this season, where we don't play a top. We play one top eight side in the first six weeks, uh, um, or one predicted top eight side in the first six weeks, and and you know you start you see against the Dragons and the Titans, you're a good chance of of being two from two. And look, we um we let the second half get away from us against the Dragons, and look, the best side won. Um, on Saturday, I thought the Titans were the better team for the most most part of that game. I thought Wade Egan was exceptional. I thought Reese Walsh showed moments of brilliance, and Ash Taylor's kicking game was was good at times, which is promising. Um, if we if we get Sean Johnson back, but I I just feel like this this could, has the potential to be 
the worst season in Warriors history, which what I think is three or four wins mm. back in the Super League days. So uh, yeah, I just uh, there's so many quality teams in this league. Some of the I think you know the, the weak teams are the Tigers, the Cowboys, the Warriors, and probably the Dragons. And every other team is going to be a real tough beat for the Warriors this season. So uh, I, I don't like the outlook for the club this year. I really don't. Brad, uh, on another subject yesterday, quite a poignant one, really. Uh, friends and family, the closest to him, uh, laid uh, Shane Warne to rest yesterday. Mm. Of course, there's going to be a big state funeral and a big uh, celebration of his life at the MCG coming up, which will be an extravaganza, I can promise you that, uh, which reflect his life. But uh, it, was, uh, well, it was was quite weird seeing uh, his family walk behind the hearse yesterday carrying his coffin uh, at uh, the St Kilda Footy Club. Yeah, look, I never had the chance to meet Warney, but man, I wish I did. He just seemed like such a, a good bloke, you know, like just a, a really good bloke. I know when he played cricket, we feared him, but respected him um, as, as fans. And, um, you know, you probably had many opportunities to, to chat to the guy. And he just seemed to know cricket better than most. And I just think it's a real shame for the game. I used to love his commentary for Fox Sport. I just thought he brought a lot to the, the commentary box. And he's just a lost of sport. And, a, a, you know, it just, just such, seems like such a, a likable guy um, off the field. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, he, he deserves all the plaudits that he's got post-life. And I know speaking to Mark Richardson, he's got massive regrets that he never got to bury the hatchet with Warney. Um, you know, but those two are, uh, well, from from Rigger's point of view, um, they had they hadn't got on for a very long time. So, yeah, it's just um, it's just a shame that um that that we've lost one of the greats of of, of world sport. Yeah, Jamie, look, uh, I'm a bit of uh, the opinion. I, I, I've you know, there's been a lot of great sporting people pass away in my time, but whether it's because it's so close to New Zealand, so close to home, I, I'm not quite sure. I've seen an aftermath this big. No, certainly, certainly not, and I, and I think. It is because Shane Warne transcended sport. Um, you know, you didn't have to be a cricket fan or a cricket tragic to to know of him and to know about who he was, his character. Um, and I think that's why it, there's just been such an outpouring of emotion. And and because of course he he went, uh, you know, so young. Um, it was just it was just a shock. Uh, and we and after a week after we'd we'd lost. Uh, Inga Tuingamala and Joely Vendiri at similarly mm. young ages as well. I think it just sort of really kind of hit home um, for a lot of people, especially in the times that we live in. I think that we're, we're really treating, treating death of people, uh, of celebrities, people we grew up with uh, a, lot, a lot different now. You know, it, 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 just, it, it really kind of hits home the whole mortality of the thing. I know it's getting a bit deep, deep and meaningful for the panel on a Monday morning, but... Mm. Um, I think that's why it felt it felt that way for me. You know, he was a guy I, I literally grew up with. Um, I met him when I was a kid. You know, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I loved it, loved the way he played ever since. And and you know, it just it just hurts. And and I think that's why. I think that's why. And it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't just hurt the cricket fans. It hurts everybody. Guys, uh, thanks very much for your input this morning. Enjoyed uh, your thoughts there. Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis uh, with a panel. We'll have another one at the same time uh, tomorrow morning, of course. It is uh, 10.42 here on SENZ. Some uh, texts, etc., coming up shortly. And then uh, we'll be chatting with uh, Louis Herman Watt for the second time today and a visit to the TAB all before 11 o'clock. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
It looks for all intents and purposes as if the West Indies have saved this test match uh, against England. They still need five wickets and it's only a matter of deliveries to come. So uh, that's going to be done and dusted in uh, Barbados very shortly and dusted being the operative word because it looks like it's turning square out of some footholds. And in the Valspar PGA Championship at the moment uh, with uh, Sam Burns, 17 under, just dropped a shot on the 17th. So he's uh, one shot ahead of uh, Justin Thomas and Lee Riley is a, a player I hadn't heard too much about. So Riley at 16 under, Justin Thomas at 16 under, Burns 17 under, just with a couple of holes to play there. Text coming in on our temper bedpost text machine. Uh, White Ferns failure, Smithy, was imminent when coach failed to select the best available players and have them play together in their roles for the last one to two years. Now, South Africa have been planning for four years for this tournament uh, and are winning. Uh, the coach admitting experienced performed players and selecting development players over them must have had a negative effect on the team, feeling they can win the World Cup without the best 11. Yes, a clean-out is needed of coaches and management. Craig Cumming is the obvious choice to come in and take the White Ferns over to achieve the success as the country has the players to rise above the mediocrity of this latest edition. John there coming in with his thoughts there. <clears throat> Mike has come in and said, really enjoyed watching all the World Cup games, a number of amazing finishes, lots of young girls joining the game, mean greater depth in the future. But for now, no rocket science required. Once again, our New Zealand bowlers and field stepped up, but unfortunately, not the batters. Common thread is the batting technique and early in the innings too. Too many bold LBW or leading edges, simple solution, watch and learn how the Aussies treat straight, good length balls with respect, the full face of the bat early, just revolving the strike, then punishing the bad balls. Maybe a new batting coach, perhaps an Aussie, will sort this out. Mike, good thoughts. Uh, absolutely some good thoughts here. And it's great uh, that you've come in um, with big and uh, really meaningful texts this morning. It shows you care. And I think uh, even though the, uh, it hasn't been good, the women would probably appreciate that once they get over the hurt um, of the fact that uh, it's not going to be this time around for them. It's uh, 10.49 here on SENZ, not far away from Louis Herman Watt and maybe a tip or two from the TAB. Down, keep them straight, going straight uh, down the middle of the track there. Um, yeah, incredible, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like this is uh, Groundhog Day, really, doesn't it? Another Group 1 day, another domination by Jamie Richards and, and uh, Tiako. But I guess some of the... You know, Mark Walker is a master trainer. People in new age racing fans might kind of think, oh, Mark Walker's the guy from Singapore. Well, no, Mark Walker's dominated New Zealand before. Mm-hmm. He's going to walk back into a stable full of firepower. What is going to be very interesting to see, though, is, you know, how special is Jamie Richards and how much extra sauce in the, that Jamie Richards polish, how much of it has been being put on these you know, often incredibly uh, rich and, and well-bred thoroughbreds that David Ellis buys. And, and you know, w- will we be able to see any difference in the results that Tiako puts out over the next 12 months or 18 months or two years? I'm super interested. This is, you know, Mark Walker, he, he steps back into a stable that is firing, but don't think there's not pressure on him. And I know he'll, he'll embrace it and he'll want to do as good of a job and put his stamp on it, but... You know, in Jamie's last do, he's got five, he got five horses to the Living Classic, a, a Group One mile for the three-year-olds. He got five of them, and I think five of them ran in the top six or seven. Mm. He certainly um, ran, got had them top four, and including on the Bubbles, who 
And, and Imperatrism on the bubbles were one and two, the ones that we were wondering whether they'd cop the mile. I mean, he's a master. And I think it's going to be really curious to see what happens with the results coming out of that Mata Mata barn. But what a weekend of racing it was, Smithy. Can I get an amen with a fill-up? And, and now the championships in Sydney get set to unleash. So it's a, it's a great time, isn't it? Well, a hell of a weekend anyway, before the championships get unleashed uh, with the, uh, the slipper, of course. I mean, fantastic weekend of racing over there. Uh, what did you make of those performances? Yeah, look, um, very elegant, a little bit head-scratching, really. Mm. I haven't gone back and looked at the times. Maybe it was a really slow pace and she just couldn't get to Montefilia. I mean, Montefilia, I think, has won four or five group ones now. And, <laughs> like, against the best company in Australia. Yeah, she's a, she's a proper mare. But, um, I don't know, that was a curious one. Animo was just dynamite. I think we'll probably see Animo in the Queen Elizabeth now as a three-year-old with a lighter weight. Um, over the 2,000. Last time we ran 2,000 metres on a rain-affected track, just missed in the Cox Plate. So Animo's, James Cummings has got Animo through his gears really quickly. Uh, and, yeah, some, some pretty big performances. Brenton Avdilla, maybe the ride of the day, in the slipper. Colin Gatta, good for third. She'll, she'll keep. And then Zaki, dominant in the All-Star Mile. So yeah. huge weekend for me. Yeah, fantastic, Louis. Thanks very much uh, for giving us a bit of time this morning. I'm going to pop across to the TAB now where uh, we see uh, Paul Mawati is waiting for us there, Paul. Um, on the Women's World Cup, has there been a, a lot of betting on that? And can anyone beat Australia in your mind? Um, first of all, yes, there has been plenty of action on the Women's World Cup. Uh, and the answer to your second question, no, no one can beat Australia. They are the best team uh, in this conference, they are a dynasty team. They just do not, uh, well, it doesn't seem to be, they don't seem to have any weaknesses whatsoever. Um, we've got a bonus back promotion on today's game, the West Indies women taking on the Pakistan women. Uh, West Indies, very, very well supported there. They're very warm favourites. Uh, in the top run scorer market for the West Indies, I can tell you, half of the bets in that market are on one player, Hayley Matthews at $3.50 to be the top run scorer for the West Indies. The best back Pakistani woman, uh, Bisma Maroof at three seventy-five. I can tell you we're also live betting right now on the Valspar Championship. Sam Burns, who has about a 10-foot beauty putt on the last, is at 17 under. He's $1.62. Davis Riley, who just birdied the par 3 17th, is now also on 17 under. He's at 275. Probably no one else, really. Matthew Neesmith, who also birdied the 17th, is one shot back at 16 under. He's about to tee off on the 18th, along with Davis Rolly. But at the moment, Sam Burns just moved into a dollar forty-seven to win the Valspar Championship. Interesting stuff. I'm glued to it, actually, Paul. Thank you very much for that. It's coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ. Vossi after the break. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for Sport. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Today, Brimson, what a good time this is. First run, Brimson. Oh, try and stop them. No, you will not. Both firm. Well, AJ Brimson is back. Success story. Sexton. Fafita passes long. Here goes Marju again. Greg again. You can't put a stop sign up in front of Greg. He just goes straight through it. That is the third tackle. 
Just over 20 seconds remaining. Buddy of four. Oh, lovely little pass out the back. Now there's an overlap. Taylor sees the space and Sami saves the day. Play on at this, this stage. Is Troy. This is unbelievable. Uh, that was a call from Andrew Voss on Fox League from Saturday when at halftime the Warriors held a surprising 18-16 lead over the Gold Coast Titans after the bunker had determined that Adam Pompey's grounded the ball but uh, that led to the return of AJ Brimson. The Titans pushed ahead to win 20-18. Now the Warriors are 0-2 to start the season. Joining us from Sydney in his usual slot uh, this Monday morning is, of course, Andrew Voss. Vossy, same old, same old is uh, the impression I'm getting here on this Monday morning over here. Yeah, Smithy, good morning. Yes, um, the Warriors find themselves one of four sides without a win after two rounds. Look, there's there's positives in both performances uh, against the Dragons and against the Titans, but the fact is not getting the job done. Um, suddenly, you know, giving like a team like the Broncos and the Knights who you would have thought, well, they're, they're the same as the Warriors starting the season. Well, they've already got a four-point break on them. So um, there's there's big room for improvement in the Warriors. Um, lots of aspects I could address out of the game on Saturday, Smithy, but I've I got to say I was a little underwhelmed with Ash Taylor. I've got to call it as I see it. This mm. was a big game for Ash. Warriors have given him a chance. He's up against his former club. Like, what more... Motivation. I just don't think he put any stamp on it. Um, yeah, some fleeting touches, but Ash Taylor nowhere near the player we thought he was going to be, um, and and had some really good moments over six seasons with the Titans. But I think the Warriors would be disappointed with his first up showing. Okay, Reese Walsh. What did you make of his return? Uh, Reese Walsh, fair, um, but you know you just heard that in that clip there. I mean, AJ Brimson's return was more dynamic for his team the Titans than Reese Walsh's uh, return for the Warriors. I, look, with Reese Walsh, I still look at the birth certificate. I mean, he's still a rookie, uh, and he's a chief plenty, and he's, you know, even played a state of origin or selected for state of origin. But, um, look, I, I still think, um, you know, massive ability, massive potential, um, but I, I'm prepared to say he's just not going to star every single week. Um, so there's some other areas that, that the Warriors need to address to allow Walsh to achieve his best on a consistent basis. Early season form of Josh Curran? Oh, no, I like Josh. Now, Josh, is he's he's become a mainstay of the pack. Um, I was... Look, some of Adam Fanua Blake's work was great, um, but uh, Matt Lodge, well, he I'm told he was physically... Not well the other day. Uh, we were told he overheated, was our sideline report, and we unfortunately had a shot on air that he was throwing up there on the sideline. Um, the forward pack would say that they were bettered by the Titans and have to admit that. Not not by a great deal, but they were. Um, as I say, dominance around the halves. There was nothing brilliant. Look, they could have won. Let's face it. There's there's only one try scored in the second half. It's It's not as if it was diabolical from the Warriors, but... If we get down the other end of the season and the Warriors are, you know, trying to make the finals and have to win, you know, their last four games to make it, they'll look back at Saturday and say, well, you know, there's points we could have had and didn't and we didn't get the job done. Let's hope we're not saying that multiple times through the season. Well, let's hope they don't go 0-3 and they've got a reasonably good chance to get the, the first win uh, in the bank when they face the Tigers who uh, were pretty much peppered by Newcastle last night, 26-4. What do I say there? Um, yeah, look, if the Warriors don't beat the Tigers, then then they really do have problems. The Tigers' performance was insipid. It was terrible. It was not 
first grade standard. Newcastle, keep this in mind, had Ponga out. Two front rowers, Clemmer, Daniel Saifiti. They've already got Jaden Braley, their hooker on the injured list. You know, they're big names. <laughs> they're, four, they're four starters in their 13 that weren't there. And the Tigers just weren't in it. Um, we did some radio over here this morning and we had a real estate agent um, ring us the first text of the day and said, I want to put the Tigers in the context of a real estate ad. He said they're a deceased estate. Oh, so oh, it, was pre- it was pretty savage, but the yield discipline, Tyrone Peachy off to the bin for petulance, um, Oliver Gildart, their English input, the two-on-one strip was one of the most blatant, most ridiculous things I'd ever seen. Um, they only scored a try in the last five minutes. Uh, Jackson Hastings was clearly their best player and was very good last week against Melbourne. Guess what? He's going to get, he'll be suspended today for a dangerous throw. I would give him probably three to four matches. Um, it was that bad. He, he, he took the grip between the legs, he tipped the player, and he drove. Um, so that will have to be a suspension for Jackson Hastings, their best player. So I haven't got a positive. If there's a Tigers fan listening right now, I haven't got any good news for you. Nothing. Okay. Well, what about the, well, I suppose one of the clashes of the weekend, the Storm and the Rabbitohs. What did you make of that? Seems quite a while oh, ago. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, from Thursday night. Crazy. Mm. One of the craziest finishes I've ever seen, to be honest. Um, we kept saying in commentary, I was working with Brandy Alexander, we kept saying, look, South are still a chance. They're playing poorly, but as long as it was 14-0, they were still a chance. And then in the 69th minute, they get a try, 75th, 78th. Latrell Mitchell doesn't convert any of them, <laughs> mm. you know, and it's 14-12. And then, having missed three conversions, he steps up and lands the long bomb two-point field goal from 48 metres out for 14-all. This all came after Souths had gone short dropout, the dead set, the kick went two metres, but then took a bounce to take it over the 10. There were some crazy things going on. And then Ryan Pappenhausen, well, he stole the show with a field goal in extra time. South Sydney have been disappointing across the first two rounds. They almost won the other night. But if they're patting themselves on the back today about taking Melbourne to Golden Point, they're kidding themselves. There's a lot of work to do. Um, Cody Walker's off his game massively. Damien Cook's off his game massively. So there you've got two linchpins that really need to bounce back for Souths. And their draw is so tough, the Rabbitohs, to take on the Roosters this week. I got the Roosters' favourite there. They could be zero and three Souths, the beaten grand finalists of last year. Okay, well let's look at the Roosters then, shall we? Twenty two nil up at one point over the Sea Eagles. Uh, they reduced the deficit. Uh, did the Hesler's team in the second half to twenty six twelve? What'd you make of that? Oh, the Seagulls again underwhelming too, Manly. Um, you know, really disappointing to open the season against Penrith. And then I don't think I think the full time scoreline probably flattered Manly, although I don't think the Roosters did a whole lot in the second half, but did they have to? Twenty two nil. Manly's right side defence and just not smart enough to to handle um the Roosters, and that was proven what the first try came in the third minute. And then it was the ninth and the 23rd and 32nd Roosters all over Manly when the game was, you know, there early. And um, Des Hasler would be a very disappointed man because he played his top players through the trials to get them ready to come out of the blocks fast, which they didn't do last year. Here they are full strength this year and they're 0-2. and two. So Des would be a little confused by what his team has dished up over the first two weeks. How do you reckon Ricky Stewart is today? Confused as well. <laughs> no, but oh, well, there's some excuse. I mean, they've been, you know, they've had some COVID disruption and some injury. The, the loss now of Jamal Fogarty 
pre-season with a knee injury, threw the absolute spanner into the works. The replacement halfback comes in, he gets COVID. So there there are some mitigating circumstances, but I must say, the Cowboys aren't going to figure outside the the bottom four this year. So to be beaten 26-6 by the Cowboys, you've got to address where you're at um, at the moment. And Canberra... eh, didn't fire too many shots, it must be said. There's another game that, you know, other team scores early and, and yes, the Raiders got it to 8-6 at half time, but second half, not a point. A lot of work to be done there for the Raiders. Happy to... Uh, are you happy with the standard of footy you're seeing in the early stages, Vossi? Yeah, look, I'll tell you where... i tell you, Smithy, where things have really improved this year and we often criticise that we tweak the rules too much. But I reckon absolute godsend the tweaking of the rules that we got rid of the set restart for what became deliberate infringements by defending teams when they were defending deep down in their opponent's half. That's now been converted to a penalty. I think that has been such a plus for the game. Um, I think that we've got better football this year. You know, look at the fight of the Broncos and the Bulldogs. That's great. The Wooden Spooners of the last two years. Um, some good performances. We had five games on the weekend decided by six points or less. Mm. So they're all positive signs. But... Uh, I suppose that masks. There are some sides with some serious troubles in this competition, um, and the and you know the Tigers are at the top of that list, but some heavy hitters as well. Souths and Manly, you'd reckon they'll come good, but you know they they haven't done the job the first two weeks. All in all, it's it's a seven and a half out of ten start of the season. I reckon Smithy is the best way to sum it up. I've got a note here from my producer right at the bottom. He says cannonball tackles with a question mark. Good question from your producer. Very good question. Um, Ray Stone the other night, if you want a turning point in the game, Parramatta against Cronulla, ridiculous act. So ill-disciplined. Third man in, penalised for cannonball. Now, one, he should be suspended for stupidity. That should be the first thing. And then he cop another week for the cannonball. But if we really want this out of the game, and I don't know anyone who doesn't want it out of the game, then I think the league need to, as of this weekend, you know, we got rid of the shoulder charge and... Players know they can't punch. They may still do it, but they know they're going to cop a ban if they do it. I think we need to get tough on the cannonball. It's it's a dreadful look. Um, and I had Cameron Smith on my program this morning, and he made the point, even if the player goes in third man but doesn't go in with much force on the legs, he should still be suspended because it's the only way you're going to get it out of the head of the players that they can do this. So let's get hard on how we deal with a cannonball tackle from this weekend. Peter Volandis I'll have on my show tomorrow morning. I'll put it on him. I'll say, mate, can we can we tell all the clubs so they know if there's a cannonball tackle this weekend, whatever penalties we, we were dishing out, they're going to be double. We eliminate it from the game now, and I think that would achieve it. If the players know they're looking at three, four weeks on the sideline for a cannonball, surely they wouldn't be stupid enough to produce a tackle during a game like it. Vossi, I'm going to change tack, uh, get away from league and go across to women's cricket if I can because I've been working on the, the Women's World Cup. Uh, I've been suitably impressed with uh, the standard of women's cricket, how it's developed so quickly, the skill levels of some of the players. But I cannot think in all the World Cups I've covered or played in over the years a more complete a more complete World Cup squad than your women's World Cup squad mm. who look to have every base covered and are so dominant it's just not even funny. Yeah, uh, look, got got fast bowlers, young Darcy there, maybe one of the fastest bowlers in women's cricket. I thought the story of Ash Gardner was remarkable mm. because you'd know Smithy, she missed the first couple of games for COVID. She only came out of isolation on the day of her first appearance and comes out and <laughs> one of the best hitting performances you'll ever see. 
Um, yeah, you're right. So many bases covered with this team, and individually all in form at the right time. And across all the matches, different players have contributed big things for the team. Um, it's been outstanding, and you know, fair, fair feather in the cap. Look, I know we're not into gloaters, Aussies v Kiwis or anything. No, just acknowledging success. The Australian men's team winning the T20 World Cup. It'd be a nice double if the women's could win um, the ODI Cup here, World Cup, um, to have a couple of trophies uh, owned by Australia and well-deserved. Nothing stops them. No, nothing stops them nothing. in my mind. No, absolutely. They're just so good, so dominant. Um, and Matthew Mott's, uh, his coaching style is just relaxed and, and uh, he's just letting them play. Uh, the other thing, of course, uh, we, uh, we've talked about over the last uh, 10, 12 days has been uh, the passing of Shane Warne yesterday, mm. uh, it really became quite poignant. When you see oh, the yeah. the hearse go around the, the the footy club, of course, with the family walking very slowly behind it, uh, and I think then it bang, it hits you in the in between the eyes. This is true. He's gone. Yeah, look, Smithy, I've got to say, um, we're a nation still in shock about this. I mean, my, my wife Simone is not the biggest cricket fan, sports fan. Um, but she still can't believe it. You know, like, I can't believe he's gone. And, and that's the response of everyone. So you can imagine how tough it is for those closest to him, family and the closest friends. And at that ceremony yesterday, I mean, what came out, what we did see, that Shane was given a lap of honour, Moravan Oval, Moravan Oval, which is the home ground of um, the St Kilda Club that he loved. Mm. Oh, boy, I mean, how do you have a dry eye when, you, when you're when you watching that and to see his young son, one of the pallbearers as well, um, yeah, we're, we're a nation in shock, and the um, the state service that will be at the MCG, there'll be similar services at the SCG at the same time. I mean, this will stop a nation, um, Smithy. The um, the service for Shane Warne, the the family and friends closest had their private ceremony yesterday, but this um, more public exhibition of outpouring of grief and and to pay tribute to him, it's it's going to be something. And yeah, uh, yeah, and it it'll it'll stop the nation. It will stop the nation. I'm just trying to think uh, in my time here, and uh, and even around the world, looking on from various sporting things. A, a, a guy who's had uh, a big, a bigger series of tributes, or has been remembered mm. in such a way in sport. Uh, I think. Well, there's been people claiming. And I think they're right. The most famous Australian ever. Because you can say Don Bradman, you know, with his record, of course, but 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 different times. I mean, Donald Bradman wasn't known by everyone or have have the ear and the friendship of so many. Um, I think the most famous Australian of all time uh, uh, dies suddenly at fifty-two, and um, the the shock may go past even when we have the the service, the state mm. funeral for him. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be some night out. I think fifty thousand tickets. Um, have been sold. I mean, who sells tickets to a, mm. a, a tribute of that nature? But uh, And the grandstand, of course, uh, the Great Southern Stand could be his by that night as well. Yeah, the, the, well, they're just basically signing off and they said they would straight away. It'd be the SK Warn Stand. The family have asked, can it be the Shane Warn Stand? And I totally understand that. That He was Warnie. <laughs> it could mm. almost be the Warnie Stand. It's, yeah. it's what we knew him as. It's 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 either Warney or Shane Warne, and, and that's it. Um, I know cricket has a tradition of the initials and that sort of thing, but I think the Shane Warne stand fits perfectly. And uh, and as I said, even the SCG on the night, and I'm sure the other major cricket grounds around the country will be having, you know, simulcast um, you know, beamed in the ceremonies from um, oh, the ceremony from Melbourne. So again, I say it'll stop the nation. 
war of attrition, uh, the men's cricket side uh, in Pakistan. My God, you have to be patient to watch that on those pitches, man. Well, um, we've got the third test starting today. Mm. Uh, So the last time Australia hasn't played in Lahore since 1994, and the result then was a draw. So... (laughs) I'm telling you, gamble responsibly, but I'm looking at the price for the draw, and it is the favoured way. I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd be I'd be going there. By the way, um, we're all talking about um, Babarazm and his efforts in the second test. Well, wow. What about um, Craig Braithwaite for the West Indies? Oh. He says, hold my beer. He's batted for 16 hours in the test Yeah, across the two innings. It's incredible it, stuff. That is incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, that's just come to an end, that test match, and uh, a quite clearly player of the, of the match there. So, Craig Braithwaite, yeah. Hey, Vossi, fantastic uh, to catch up with you, mate. It's been a little while, and uh, now that it's underway, we'll catch up more. Thank you so much. I, I hope there's not a commentator's curse on the Australian women's team either, Smithy. You're well, very glowing in your praise, but let's hope there's not a commentator's curse there. Doing my best. I'm doing the best to break the... But it's just... Oh. They're, t- they're too good, buddy. They're just way too good. I, I've never seen a World Cup so dominated by one team, to be fair. They're just outstanding. I take my hat off to them. Uh, cheers, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. Good on you, Smithy. Cheers. Andrew Voss there, of course, uh, our brother from SCNZ across the Tasman. Playoff in the Valspar Championship, folks. Sam Burns against Davis Riley. Sam Burns, Davis Riley making their way back down the fairway to the 18th tee. Keep, keep you updated on that before. Uh, midday, of course, uh, coming up at 11.30 as well. We have a stump smithy with Logan, 150 bucks worth of vouchers up for grabs, I'm told. So there you go. Uh, you probably beat me. I'm easier than the other guys. Uh, we'll be back shortly. This is the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it's 11.26 here on uh, SENZ on Monday the 21st of March, which is the birthday of one of my favourite human beings of all time. Uh, that's my second son, Jacob Henry Stockley Smith, who was 31 today, Jake. Uh, can't be with you today, so have a great day down there in Havelock North, and I hope they shout you a few uh, on my behalf later on in the afternoon. Tune in to SENZ uh, every Sunday from 11 to 12 uh, for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Now, this is hosted by our very own Ricardo Ball, who's joined by Greyhound uh, experts Mark Rosanossi, Mark Rosanoski, I should say, and Andy McCook. Uh, Rosso's been around forever, loves the dogs. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Now, coming out of the White Ferns camp, but Logan Swinkles, you have some news. Uh, sure do. Smithy, great to have you back in the hot seat, mate. Uh, White Ferns have come out and have said that assistant coach uh, Jake Borum uh, has left the squad to return home to be with his family. Uh, the unfortunate news comes that both his wife and two kids have tested positive for COVID-19. As it were, Bob Carter said uh, he's fully supportive of Orum's decision and acknowledged the hard work and sacrifices he has made uh, over the past seven weeks and acknowledges that ultimately family is the most important thing, so we fully support him. Uh, and meanwhile, on the injury front, uh, both Sophie Devine with back, uh, the back issue there and Leah Tahu mm. who, who left uh, hamstring, they're going to be medically assessed uh, when they arrive in Christchurch. So we should find out more about that later. Yeah, we should actually. And I wonder which way the uh, White Ferns will go in terms of selection there. Will they give these two young girls a go? Well, uh, Fran Jonas played in game one and unfortunately, uh, towards the end there, she just hadn't had the experience to handle the situation uh, run out in the last over when we still had an opportunity to win that. So uh, that was a bit of a negative then. Has not played since. Georgia Plimmer uh, has not played at all. She never actually played a one-day international. 
uh, and at any level, so look, World Cup or not. So will they uh, decide that um, with a couple of uh, players with injuries, etc., they're going to play everyone in their squad? That'll be very interesting for me, uh, Logan, point one. And uh, point two, of course, is uh, just uh, if they'll have any remote mathematical chance. My, my gut feeling is no. And I think weather might play a bit of a part. We've been blessed so far in the World Cup with some great weather. Uh, we've only had uh, one game which was badly affected by rain and that of course was uh, the New Zealand game against Bangladesh which fortunately we were able to play down there in Dunedin uh, but there's some pretty terrible rain around uh, the top path of North Island at the moment. No more games in Auckland but certainly uh, a couple in Hamilton in the next two days they may well be affected and one in Wellington so we'll keep our eyes on that but uh, certainly Australia and South Africa are firmly ensconced in that top for situation. Uh, morning, Ian. Can't help but look back at the Windies game and we let that slip when a bit of calm was required. All went downhill from there for the girls. Yes, uh, Brian, certainly that was a huge moment. We didn't realise just how big it was at the time, but you're dead right. Looking back on that one, that was the one that got away early in the comp. Uh, and uh, Jason has also come in. Morning, Smithy. I'm proud of the White Ferns efforts. You can see them giving it their all. Yeah, no doubt about that. Whilst the results are not what we are hoping for, uh, they have been there or thereabouts apart from the Australian game. I feel the players will need our full support moving forward along with the cricketing administration ensuring the pathways and support are there for our players. I see a very f- bright future for our team and wish them every success for the future. Jason, great that uh, it's managed to grab you the Women's World Cup. Right, uh, coming up to 11.30 here on SEN Stump Smithy time 0800 150 811 is the number. Get in there 150 bucks worth of vouchers up for grabs plus the sleep drops. It is time for Araha and the News. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right, it is time for Stumped by Smithy. We've had a few hosts keeping those gloves warm uh, while you've been uh, on duty, Smithy. And fair to say, they probably haven't left, kept up to your standard because we've jackpotted up to $150 in TAB bonus bets, uh, along with some Sleep Drops Daytime rev, uh, Revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. That's why you could win. And joining us now at the crease is Mike from Christchurch. How you doing, mate? How you going, guys? Mike, uh, what's the weather? Um, long-term forecast down there because there's some crucial games of uh, Women's World Cup cricket coming up, so... Would you have any idea over the next week uh, what it's looking like? It's a bit overcast today, mate. Okay. Well, we need uh, some fine weather because uh, we've been blessed with it uh, in the Women's World Cup. You enjoyed? Uh, have you watched any of it? Enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, I have enjoyed it. I've been watching a little bit of a little bit of it. I got. Um, I actually had Safi Devine top run scorer the other week. Oh, when they got India, and they had India the other day. Okay. So you got you got a divvy then. Yeah, mate. Yeah, with the with the bonus bet as well for you guys. So that was a nice wee little win there. Perfect. Okay. We'll uh, see how you go this time. You, yeah, so you can cash in again on us, mate. Good luck. All right, so <laughs> for those new to the game, this is how it goes. We have three sporting categories to choose from today. If you can answer all three questions correctly, then you win it all. But if you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smithy for a chance to get it right and knock your bales off. Get stumped within the first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. Get stumped on the final question, and we will jackpot again. Could we get to 200? We shall see. Today's topics uh, for you, Mike, are golf, soccer, football, and Ice hockey, take your pick. Oh, uh, I might go golf. 
Okay, let's go. Smithy's all eyes on the golf. Mm. All eyes. <laughs> all right, first question. For winning the Players' Championship last week, how much money in American dollars did Aussie Cameron Smith take home? Um, just going to have to be a guess. I'll say probably 3.5 mil. Oh, I, it's so close. I'm, I'm going to give Smithy a chance, though. Well, uh, uh, so uh, what are we looking at? We're, we're looking within the closest 100,000 here or not? I don't know. Is this we'll, we'll, point, we'll go one decimal point. <laughs> one decimal point. Okay. Oh, so one decimal point. I'll go 3.8. 3.8 one million. One of the worst things wow. I've ever seen done on a cricket field. I can't, I can't believe how close this is. 3.6 million. Uh, and, oh. and in New Zealand dollars, that's about 5.6. So you could buy maybe a couple of houses with that, but you're still alive, Mike. Question number two. How many times has Tiger Woods won the Masters? Um, I'd say three times. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. Okay, um, I'm going to say at least four times. Four's your answer? Yes, it is. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Close. It was five. The most recent being in 2019. First was all the way back in 1997. Still alive, of course, Mike. One more question. $150 in TAB bonus bets up for grabs and the sleeve drops. Daytime Revive. We're staying with the Masters here. What is the highest position Rory McIlroy has finished in that major tournament? Highest position? Um... I'm going to say second. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Is this an obscure question? This is a slightly tricky one. No, not really. Not really. He hasn't won it. That's the thing. Oh, I thought I'd seen him in a green jacket. Must have just bought one from Hallenstein's. what do I reckon? Uh, let's think about that. Um, okay, maybe it's, it's, it's obscure in the way that he hasn't gone that close. I'll say sixth. One of the worst things I have ever no. seen done on a cricket field. Again, so, so close. Uh, it was four. Fourth. There you go. No, that's good news for you. Very good news for you, Mike. So, yeah, there we go, mate. You're going to get the 150. Unfortunately, you can't get the sleep drops, but hold the line and Brian will get you details. So, oh, awesome, guys. Yeah, what, yeah. what do you think you'll put uh, your uh, winnings on? Um, I might have to wait, wait a little bit, see what's going on throughout the week. Stick it on the Aussie woman to win the World Cup, mate, and then multi it into whatever <laughs> you like because uh, that, to me, is uh, the bet of the year. The bet of the year at bet this point. Year? Yeah, the okay. bet of the year. Uh, don't put on the Crusaders, not at this point. I uh, wouldn't be too chuffed about the Crusaders at this point. The Chiefs look mighty fine to me. Uh, yeah, stay on the line. Brian will get your details, Mike. Congratulations, and hopefully I might catch up with you down there in Christchurch towards the end of the week. Uh, in terms of the Valspar Championship, folks, they've had one extra hole, and they both uh, part it. So they're back uh, to uh, the tee, and Sam Burns has the honour there against Davis Riley. That is the second playoff hole 
and the Valspar Championship. We'll be back shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And uh, it is uh, 11.42 here on SENZ. Uh, some sports uh, of interest that have uh, come through on the wire. LeBron James now up to number two on the NBA all-time scoring list on a bittersweet night for his Lakers team. They lost to the Washington Wizards by 127 to 119. Uh, he started out needing 21 points to go past Carl, the mailman Malone, of course, uh, from the Utah Jazz that great combination with uh, John Stockton, who provided so many opportunities for him. Uh, so now uh, he has uh, th- 36,947 points, uh, which is interesting. Uh, and he's still quite uh, some way behind the greatest of all time, which is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is a six-times NBA champion, of course, that tops the scoring list with 38,387 points. And that record has stood for an incredible 33 years since he retired way, way back in 1989. South Africa, the Proteas, have cruised to a seven-wicket victory over Bangladesh in the second one-day international at the Wanderers uh, to square the three-match series. That was an incredible result, Bangladesh beating them first up. Uh, but they've uh, turned that around, have the Proteas, and the series decider will be played at Centurion Park in Pretoria on Wednesday. And some really interesting news coming out of the NFL. Uh, Logan, you might want to comment on this because it's so, I guess, pertinent to the way uh, we look at society today and um, the way people are being regarded with uh, serious uh, exploits in the past. The, The Cleveland Browns have acquired quarterback Deshaun Watson from the Houston Texans, right? saying they had done all their due diligence in signing the 26-year-old who has been accused of sexual assault and inappropriate conduct. More than 20 women have come forward last year and filed lawsuits against Watson, who was also investigated by the NFL for allegations they described as deeply disturbing. Texas Grand Jury declined to indict the quarterback this month, signed a four-year deal with the Cleveland Browns, for 226, in fact, 226 million. That was his deal with the Texans. Uh, he's now signed with the Browns for 333 million dollars, and you can understand why that doesn't sit well with a lot of people in America. Yeah, the there's been a lot of issue around the reporting of this and the way NFL teams and NFL media have sort of conducted themselves around this. It's almost like as soon as we were getting into the the frenzy of signing players. Everyone was licking their lips over Deshaun Watson. Despite the cloud over all the allegations, he's not being clear completely. Uh, there was a really good article on Deadspin about this and that uh, they're obviously putting money at first and people second. Um, and then on a the football side of things, I'm, I'm a big fan of Deshaun Watson, the football player. Uh, the the person is questionable, but uh, when you play things like fantasy NFL, Deshaun Watson, the way he played, was uh, was going great guns because he's one of those really athletic quarterbacks that don't just pass; he can run it. He can run the ball really, really well. So. Uh, probably gets potentially another start here. Cleveland Browns is a little bit awkward because they also have uh, Bacon Mayfield there uh, at quarterback. So what's going to happen there? Don't know. He did post uh, on his uh, Twitter and Instagram last week saying, you know, he thanked the city of Cleveland and that it's felt like home for him. Uh, so he wasn't trying to be cryptic or anything. But, yeah, some awkward talks there for the Browns. And this is on the back of uh, whilst I've been away. Of course, the big news is that Tom... Uh, having watched a game of football in Manchester United, said no, I can't. I can't. I'm, I, I'm still not ready to be in the grandstands. I need to be back out on the field. Tom, 
Yeah, Tom Brady is coming back, and much to the uh, chagrin potentially of Aaron Rodgers, who said he's still staying as well. He probably thought he was going to be the big dog on campus with Tom Brady not around him, but they're all both coming back. So the next NFL season is going to be really, really interesting in that position. Yep, motor racing news as well. Of course, uh, Scott McLaughlin just pipped this morning in the latest of the IndyCar races by his teammate, and another worthy performance also, of course, uh, from uh, Scotty Dixon. Uh, but the, the Formula 2 uh, season in Bahrain is, uh, is very interesting. They, they had uh, another round there over the weekend, and uh, New Zealand driver Liam Lawson stepped on to the podium. Um, this is an uh, incredible story because followed up his uh, third place in the sprint race with a second in the feature race. Uh, he started sixth but improved un- under a couple of safety car restarts, restarts to finish um, just behind Theo Pochier of France. Uh, Lawson was third in the sprint race yesterday and fellow New Zealand uh, Marcus uh, Armstrong proved from 13th starting position to fifth, and Lawson is second in the overall standings, a point behind Pusher with the next round in Saudi Arabia next weekend. So motor racing news there, and uh, Kiwi's doing very well abroad. Yeah, that's really awesome news to hear. Of course, uh, Stephen McIver is going to be keeping your seat warm for the next three days, so I'm sure he's going to be pretty excited about that. He, he already told me, hands off uh, SVG, I've already got him, so <laughs> I'm sure he's got uh, some great stories there to tell. Uh, in more racing news, Smithy, uh, Pacing for Purpose Season 2, uh, we're doing well, we're doing great things, raising money for Women's Refuge here on the morning show. Uh we won. Akuda won uh, with a great return of $67.50. Just to give a little tally here, uh, the morning show, currently have, uh, the breakfast show, sorry, have raised $165 for the charity uh, Child Cancer Foundation. We've raised 178 for Women's Refuge. And uh, the afternoon show was Staffy, raised for BBM. That is, uh, of course, Butterbean. $125 and uh, the drive show. Still looking for a win there and pacing for purpose. Okay, well, I can tell you um, in the Valspar Championship, Sam Burns on the second playoff hole has just holed a 40-foot putt, ringed the hole and dropped in, uh, and Davis Riley, who was just off the edge of the green, trying to chip in, was not able to do so. Uh, so uh, for Sam Burns, that I think is his third win of the season, which is quite incredible. Uh, he is a player to look out for in the future, embraces all round uh, from the family, of course, Another few million dollars in the kitty for his wife to go shopping. So, uh, yeah, a really, really successful morning for Sam Burns, the Valspar Championship winner. And if you got on him last night at around about four bucks, you might be a bit of a happy chappy. Uh, just a final text coming in from John, and it uh, pretty well uh, sums it up, and it probably will be the end result, you would be thinking. Uh, the buck stops with the coach, Bob Carter needs to fall on his sword. That's uh, from John. Well, Bob Carter's been around New Zealand cricket scene for a long time. Of course, uh, he formerly was a player for North Hants over the years, county uh, player for a long period of time, came here, has been here ever since, uh, and has been around uh, most of uh, the cricket teams in New Zealand at some point. Um, but maybe, just maybe, uh, that'll be a hit for him in terms of the White Ferns. Certainly they'll look at it. And they have to look at where uh, women's cricket is in this country at the moment. And more importantly, and that's the, wor- the thing that worries me a wee bit about it, where's the depth? Uh, I talked to the likes of Debbie Hockley and uh, Leslie Murdoch and uh, some of the women's uh, cricket aficionados around the country. Depth is a big key. And that's why they were hoping so much that this quite experienced side were going to excel in this World Cup. And as we know, it simply 
has not happened. It is 11.50 here on SENZ. We'll catch up with Staffy before midday. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.